Welcome to our third Soma Church podcast within our Justice and Reconciliation series. My name is Ryan Lambert, and in our last episode, we talked about increasing awareness about the roots of injustice within our country, the American church at large, and also here in our own city. And with that, we also had a chance to listen to some individual experiences that some members of our Soma community have had in their own lives. This week, we welcome a mostly new set of voices from within the Soma family. So I want to first of all say welcome to all of you. Thank you for being here, and I also want to give you all a chance to introduce yourselves one at a time. Uh, if you just give us your name and which of the Soma congregations you attend. My name is Tamise Cross, and I am from Soma Northwest. Drew Bogan, I attend Midtown. I'm Ashley Lau, and I attend Downtown. And I'm Steve Coyle, and I attend Northwest. Again, thank you all for being here. And, uh, you know, we do realize that this can be an interesting space to discuss things alongside people that maybe don't have existing relationships with, yet so far we've been able to hear some really good things as we continue in this series toward restoring people, places, and systems from hostility to harmony with God, others, and creation. When we finished up the last episode, we talked about the very good desire that we have to react or to do something with what we've heard or what we've learned. But we did leave you with the thought that while action is the right desire, in issues of this weight, the historical first response of God's people throughout the Bible has been lament. However, in this more modern context, lament seems to be something that is often untaught, unproductive, unfamiliar, or uncomfortable to us. So we're going to define lament to start here so we can all start on the same page. And lament is the individual or communal expression of grief, sorrow, frustration, and or regret. And for some biblical context to lament, we see that 40% of the Psalms are prayers of lament. Plus, we have the entire book of Lamentations as one big corporate lament. So lament is a space to deal with some of these very weighty things. And as we start, the first thing I want to ask you all is this. We've all come from hearing in our individual congregations different sermons about lament. So To start, what stood out to you on the subject of lament as far as what you heard in your congregation preached this week? Uh, At Midtown, uh, Brandon returned to a point that he had made earlier in the series um, in in stressing the idea that there's a difference between guilt and responsibility. Um, And then today, how that that relates to... um, Lamentation. I think he went to Ezekiel 18 to talk about um, corporate responsibility, even if not guilty, whether it was past generations or whether it was, um, you know, happened in a time and a place where you weren't, um, that you don't have to have been guilty of some act to bear responsibility uh, for its effects and then to, to your community, to your brothers and sisters, and um, to making amends for damages to relationships. Tayshawn at downtown preached about the Good Samaritan, and um, he talked about the way that we look at others and that we look at our neighbor. And it got to the end, and he kind of 
had the question of what do we do or where do we go from here? And he brought it home by saying, like us, us asking the question of ourselves, where is my heart at? And when I look at other people, how do I view them? And it really brought the idea of lament down to a personal level where I left church with that personal conviction of what is my first thought when I see someone on the street or at the grocery store or um, in any context where, yeah, just what is my first thought and is my first look a look of love and that I love that person no matter what external features they have that may cause me to stereotype them or is it, um, or do I start with a look of judgment? So it really caused me to question what what is my first thought and how if I have a first thought that doesn't reflect the gospel, how quickly can I move past that first thought to something that's healthy or reflecting of the gospel? In our um, congregation, um, Brian shared a lot of personal testimony um, about his journey through uh, learning how to lament. He expressed it in a way of saying that it's not typically something that um, a white person would feel comfortable with doing, um, connecting to God in an emotion where it will cause them to weep on behalf of someone else or to weep you know, on behalf of the guilt that had came from the ancestors and different things like that. And so he shared his um, spiritual journey um, from being in ministry in his young 20s and traveling to um, other parts of the nation and even going out out of the states um, and doing ministry there and then having to come back here and start um, leading um, the majority of our racial reconciliation conversations. And so within that, even prior to him preaching this Sunday, he and I, I mean, he connected with me through the week in order to share with me his struggle with preparing for the sermon because he just felt like it was such a heavy task since it just hadn't been something um, within the white culture just really to um, find moments to actually lament and what is that like and how do I do that and so he did have a lot of reflective questions and he said that it brought him to have to um, make a confession even to me um, as far as my style of worship by me being an African-American woman um, growing up in a predominantly black church most of my life um, the way I worship is quite different than the evangelical church um, is very expressive, very passionate, um, a lot of times very spirit led, but um, also like that means being in tune to whatever it is that's going on in the room, um, like just kind of feeling my emotions and even having the ability to feel other people's emotions. And in that, in the ways that I would pray, he said it triggered him to where at first he recognized that he actually had a bias toward the way worship was conducted. And so he had to work through that and ask the Lord why. Like he he expressed during the sermon um, the many questions that he asked God as to the reason why he felt that way and why was he rejecting this and 
all of these things to where he called me in the middle of the week. He said before he can share the sermon, he first wanted to make that confession to me to make sure that um, I knew how he felt about it, but not in a way to offend me, but in a way to let me know that I have helped lead him to connect with God um, in a way to express his emotions that he had never before. And had he continued to reject um, reject the way I express myself, then it wouldn't have allowed him to learn a way to connect to God in a way to learn how to lament on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, and I just want to piggyback off that because I was there too uh, with the same sermon. And uh, Brian talked about um, all that matters is what matters to God. And so that that just stuck out. Um, especially, you know, he wanted to hit on, he wanted to use that to hit on his point that we needed to align ourselves with him. And so um, it was just really, uh, I think, helpful uh, just to hear him walk through that, um, how his journey's been with that, and just seeing like what big picture is, what is lament, and that essentially is what it is, is I am trying to get in line with what God has in his heart, and I'm trying to experience that. But through that, there are things I have to wrestle through, and I have to uh, cry out to the Lord for those things. And so um, that was another thing that stuck out along with, you know, what Tamisa explained. So we all come from different spaces of experience when it comes to lament. Uh, you know, we were all part of so much church family, but we all have brought into that church family a ton of different church experience, let alone life experience. So I want to talk a little bit because to me, you kind of alluded to this a bit and, and just find out what, what is, if any, your experience with lament and are there areas that we can look at and say, okay, well, lament has traditionally, like Brian is saying for him, look different in a white church context or a black church context or a multi-ethnic church context, whatever that church context is, how has lament looked for you? What has been your experience in that and what could you draw out and share with us on it? Well, I just want to say that I hadn't always um, learned just going off of what you're saying, like with different church experiences, because you can find yourself going to church for so many years and still not be able to tap into, you know, some areas that the Lord really want to expose before you, you know, unless you had like someone like Brian, I'm just very grateful that Brian literally walked through how he wrestled with it, you know, mm -hmm. the specific questions that he asked the Lord and just different things like that. And that's for anyone, be it going to a white church, black church, that's for anyone to go to the Lord for themselves and ask them, how do you want me to respond to your word? How do you want me to respond to your gospel? How do you want me to carry it out? And like literally have that desire in them in order for them to begin to feel, because even growing up in the church that I grew up in, I didn't learn how to be compassionate towards different people outside of myself and my own family until I got connected with the word of God and asked the Lord also, 
How can this be made evident in my life? So that's how I learned how to lament because I had to get over myself. I had to get over my comfort and my preference. And I had to literally make the Lord the Lord over my life, which means even transform my mindset into how I view other people. And that was a challenge prior coming to this church, you know, and being a part of this church, having been so comfortable going to the different churches that I have gone to and could have continued to go to, but also recognizing that I needed to grow more. And I, and I was just too comfortable and a devastating situation had to happen to bring me here and to allow me to work through this conversation, which is new for me, you know, to even admit that it's new for me to work through it as a Christian versus separating this conversation and dealing with it from my own anger and not as a person that's angry about the sin, but not at the people, you know, type of response like Jesus is. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that um, about doesn't matter where you've gone to church or for how long. Um, I'm 39 now. I've only been a Christian since I was 29. So there are a lot of times in church where I sort of sit back and observe because I don't have that, that upbringing. And I just try to think, okay, this, this must be normal. This must be the way it's done. And increasingly you sort of learn maybe there is no the way it's done, or there are things that are, that are being omitted, that you have a significant amount of lamentation in the Bible. And yet it doesn't always come into play. Um, in church and Ryan you asked about personal experience there was a a while back we had kind of a a panel discussion at Midtown and um, there was uh, a young black woman who was up on stage she's not here so I'm not going to use names Um, but she she really opened up and talked about how when she came to church the Sunday morning after all the events in Charlottesville she was she was in pain. She was heavy-hearted. She was discouraged. She was um, she was lost, and she told us all that she walked in and saw all these people having conversations and smiling, and just said, "You know, n- nobody here cares." And that that was one of those moments in church where you you physically feel your heart breaking. I mean, she was opening up and. And I think, you know, with a better understanding through, through what just we talked about today, she was, of course, lamenting and would have expected the body to lament with her. Um, even, if, even if we didn't understand or even if we felt a different way that, that the church comes around um, its, its injured members. And it, she just said it was as if no one knew what had happened and just what a, what a discouraging moment that was. And... In, in, through the lens of today, that's an opportunity to lament corporately. And, and we don't have to go back uh, 60 years, 400 years. This, this was that week. Mm-hmm. And there was an opportunity to, to lament together and to um, sort of sit in and, and work through that kind of pain that, that people were, were feeling. But you're right. I, I don't know how much we're used to that. I don't know how much we expect that or, or have been trained or if training is even necessary. But... Um, if, if we're going to stand on, on the word of God, which of course we are, lamenting is a big, it's a big part of that. 
Yeah, my experience with lament is it's you know it's kind of interesting because so I'm I'm biracial, and I came to Christ kind of as I mentioned in the last podcast. I came to Christ um, when I was 24, and my experience with church was, uh, you know, predominantly African-American. And, uh, you know, I went to an apostolic church and a Baptist church, and, and they are really charismatic, really expressive. Um, but I didn't, and if I look back at it even now as we're asking that question, it's like I never really lamented during those times, even though expression was part of the culture, because one, I wasn't a Christian at that time because I had been to church before. So I have a background in church, of church. Um, and then I come into an all white context of church where they don't lament. Uh, and even understanding what lament was, uh, was just kind of foreign to me until maybe even a few years ago, just when things in the country had started happening and I started having uh, certain type of feelings and other times I would just kind of push those down um, you know and then thankfully you know the Lord had allowed those to kind of come to a tipping point um, I'm, I'm trying to remember which incident it was I think it was it was like back-to-back -back shootings by police officers. Uh, um, maybe it was 2016, probably, 2017. Uh, and I just remember being so angry. Um, the fact that people were, like, checking in on me about it because I was just kind of like, why do you keep asking me this question about how I feel about it and stuff like that? It was from my white brothers and sisters uh, that were in the ministry with me. It was after the first shooting happened. People were asking questions, and I was so numb to just all of that, so numb to having feelings about that uh, because, you know, I'm pretty much at that time, I'm just in this context where expression really isn't even a thing, uh, really. Um, and then, you know, the se I see the second one, and then I see the video of the cop, and I immediately just, I remember it like it's yesterday. Just I started just crying about it. And then I start seeing people trying to uh, get to a point of, you know, what's what's the facts in all of this and those type of things. There wasn't there wasn't a space to lament. There wasn't a space to be sad. It was just more about investigation about the scene and stuff like that. Um, and that kind of started my journey with it. Um, and then, you know, as more things happen and then even now, it really took for for me and myself personally uh, just for the Lord to humble me, and it really had to have some hope. Brian mentioned that today that, you know, if God isn't true to his word and who he is and the things he cares about, then where do we find hope? Mm -hmm. And when you're in the process of lament, you have to have the hope piece uh, because that is the vision of what you're desiring, um, and it's in line with what he wants, and it's him letting you experience in that. And then from that, when you see that, things that are contrary to that are happening and they're, they just feel personal to you. Um, and, and I think this year more than ever, maybe the last two years as I've dealt with more, just being honest about who I am and the things I've struggled with from, from where I'm from, uh, living out in the West side of Indy, which is pretty violent. Um, being able to see like, man, things are happening that are evil that are happening to God's people. Um, not just, you know, 
black folks, you know, white folks too, or just seeing it in general and seeing people's responses to it. It just, you know, it's brought me to a place and even being at SOMA and, you know, getting to know Tamis more and other people that have started to experience that, you know, and reading the Psalms, you know, it really took for the Lord to, like I said, to humble me to get to a place to start crying out to him and say, man, I'm, I, I just don't have the answers for these things. They feel real. They feel personal. Um, it feels like I'm being attacked, you know, uh, seeing somebody getting robbed or shot or killed or whatever, young kids. And it's just kind of like at that point, you just, you know, you just don't really care about, well, who was, what was this kid? What did he do? Or all these other things you just care about. Like, man, somebody, something happened to somebody, somebody's life got taken in, uh, I know that that grieves the Lord and it grieves me because I'm tired of seeing that. Um, and so that's kind of been my journey. It's, it's, it's multitudes of different experiences, the, the black, coming from the black church, going to the white church, and then it takes for the Lord to come into that. And I had to, you know, have it's like a spiritual awakening to even get to a point of lament. Um, and so that's my journey with that. I think that growing up there was this well and even now there's just this idea that we need to push through and say when someone asks you how your day is just say that you're fine and I don't Tayshawn talked about it a little bit this morning how um just kind of breezing over the burdens because it's uncomfortable to feel the burden but to be willing to just sit in a place of sadness and grief sometimes can be really hard. And it's not a popular thing to acknowledge because we want to put on this facade that we're good and God is good and he loves us. And like we should just be able to process and move on quickly And I was sitting with a friend this last week that experienced a tragedy and a loss in her life. And she was acknowledging all the good things about God and all of the ways that he's carried her through the situation. And then we processed through how it's okay to feel these emotions of extreme sadness and loss and grief. But at the same time, you're not diminishing the greatness of God and who he is and how he's worked in your life or in a situation. And there's been times in my life over the last year where Kent preached a sermon on sadness. Um, it's probably been two, two, maybe more years ago now. And that was a moment in my life where I acknowledged that there were these situations that had happened that if I could just sit in my sadness and process the grief that was happening, maybe it wouldn't have, maybe not even like lasted for so long. Like maybe I could have moved, moved on in a healthier way just by acknowledging that that was the emotion that I was feeling. And then over the last year, just having different times where whether it's a, teenager in my life or a friend, but just being able to acknowledge that it is okay to sit in grief and process all of the emotions you're feeling, even if they feel less Christian than they should, but at the same time, still acknowledging what we deeply know is true about God and what his word says about who he is and the way that he works in each of our lives. That's good. I, I like, 
I like how you express that because um, even in the conclusion, um, Brian allowed us a moment to sit in it. It um, at the conclusion of everything after he had um, just shared with us how to look at you know communal sin how to lament together about that sin, he allowed us that moment to just sit in it. And um, and I was imagining how weird it could be for someone who's not spiritually connected to that in order to do it. But I also thought about just how that allowed people to just the time to ponder over a lot of what he had said and just kind of take it in. But then afterward, Bobby came up and said that before there was Resurrection Sunday, there was Good Friday. And he said, before there's life, there is also death. And that we have to allow that dying to ourselves. Because that's what lamenting is for us, even right now, with this topic. We have to die to ourselves. You know, our white brothers and sisters have to die to themselves. And us as black people, we have to even die to ourselves as well. And let God get the glory out of it all. Um, and that's that's hard. Because even listening to... Steve share his thoughts and feelings about those shootings and killings that had not ceased. They still go on. They're just not on TV. And this is like, this is for a black person. That's our every day. Um, yes. Our every single day. Anytime any news flash come up on TV about someone being affected, who's being um, targeted or killed as a black person, we, I, 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 you know, I don't mean to say like we all, because I know maybe some of them, but a nice amount of us are feeling that to the deep core, especially those of us who have children. Um, and even for myself, I have a 13-year-old boy who is face-to-face -face with this every day at his school, and he goes to IPS school. So, I mean, it's a lot that he see, you know, from how young black men are being treated, and he has to try to advocate and say, I, I don't come from a single-parent home. You know what I'm saying? You can call my parents or, you know, just how he has to handle through confrontation and conflict at school being a, a black male. Here I am as a mother and everything else having to work through that, I can't be angry at people. I have to understand that this is spiritual warfare, like it says in Ephesians 6, and that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but spirits and principalities. And those principalities are what we are fighting against. And the only way to fight against it is through the word of God, which I have to remind myself, like you were saying, Tayshaun was telling you about the Good Samaritan, you know, you have to remind yourself of that constantly so that we could be in step with how the Lord want us to work through these things. Yeah, and I want to chime in on that real quick because you brought up something. Um, the things that like are day-to-day, -day, like when we're talking about this comp topic of the conversation and reconciliation and justice, it's not just necessarily this white and black thing. Like to me saying it's spiritual warfare. So the things that she's speaking of, like we're seeing on the news, is it's the day-to-day. -day. But it, it's not just, um, you know, police brutality, uh, white people targeting black people. It can also be black-on-black -black crime. Like, it could, you know, um, because, like, th those are some of the things that I experienced that lead me to the lament, is I see just murder and crime in general in the neighborhoods of poverty in it and it targets an emotion for me, it feels really real uh, to the point sometimes where it's like, man, it feels like it's about to happen. Like I can envision 
what happened to somebody else happening to me because of where I'm coming from, but it's the the trauma of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because mental health is like a real thing, especially in the black community. So, you know, it's, you know, I think that in the conversation, it's real easy to start to think about the, you know, that it's these big scale events that we see on CNN and on the news and stuff like that. Um, but it's not just that. It's it, it literally is the things that just happen in a day to day. And we are uh, carrying those things into the church and need a place to lament. But, you know, if people aren't lamenting and, you know, we can't get in tune with that, it gets really hard because you're trying to figure out all these other things or it's just absent and you just kind of feel uncomfortable to be like, man, I just, I don't even know if I can lament because I don't, I don't know if anybody really understands or if there's a place to just weep. Um, and so I I really wanted to, to hit on that because that that is a thing. It's not just that you know, this whole white black, it's just, it's, it's everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and the traumatic things are real. You go to a public school, being a black male, uh, you know, especially since those schools are pretty diverse, you're not talking about a black child going into an all white school necessarily. You're talking about a school where people look just like us. I went to an IPS school. Um, and you have to deal with the trauma of the other things, you know, like you were, like Tamise was saying, uh, that she, he has a two, like Jair, he has a two parent home. Uh, and people that don't have that, that don't have like the structure, they live a different way. And you have to make a decision that even as a black male to identify, especially if you're a young man of the Lord, like to identify with, man, am I going to just go with the flow of what everybody else is doing? Or am I going to go against that? Mm-hmm. And you know, that kind of leads to things that bring all kinds of trauma, the bullying and things like that. So um, I just thought that was a really crucial thing just to give context to. Let's circle back to, uh, I've kind of seen a theme in your, in your comments here. And it, that theme being we desire as humans, a space for lament. Like we're talking about wanting to have this space in, in some of these stories. But, you know, earlier I talked about, in a modern context, lament can can sometimes be seen as unproductive, and and I think Steve said, you know, we're we're looking for reaction, we're looking for reason why. Um, so why do you think that getting that space is difficult? Why do you think that we are uh, culturally, individually, why do you think that we're resistant to lament, and? Are there potential roadblocks that exist in our lives that prevent us from experiencing that? The cultural element of that, I think, is significant. I'm sure it's not the whole of it, but um, in in Judaism, there's a there's a concept and a tradition, a very old one, uh, about lamenting called sitting shiva, where if someone goes through a, a, a tragedy, a loss. Um, people come over to the home. It could be lots of people. People bring food and gifts. But um, as that, it's, it's seven days to sit in that grief. And as the, the person who was at the center of it, literally, if they don't feel like talking, no one talks. They'll, they will just have people sitting in their home just sort of saying, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. But it's it's the opposite of of that 
the cultural aspect that that several of us have mentioned that like okay what do we do how do we how do we move on um how do we solve this that um that there's a long tradition of no sometimes you just need to sit and you need to weep and you need to mourn and you need to come to terms and sometimes it takes a week and sometimes nobody even says a word and everybody gets that you know everybody in the house understands um this is important this is valuable this is something that actually um God has talked about in his word, um, but a, a tradition like that certainly isn't something that I'm, you know, that I grew up with or that I'm used to or that I see. I wanted to say, um, I think one, one thing that keeps us from lamenting is just not wanting to feel weak and not wanting mm-hmm. to feel like we're not in control. I think, um, as I think about lamenting, um, I think about there's nothing I can do. Like it, when I have my my deep cries, it's because okay, I tried everything already. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I tried to call this person, I tried to talk to this person, I tried all this, and now I'm just Lord, <laughs> you know, crying because I have no other choice but to trust you now. You know, so um, I think lamenting could be a last resort instead of a first response when what you was just saying. That should be our first response. You recognize the trauma or you re- recognize the event that happened. And almost like 9-11, you know, it's, it's interesting how um, even in 9-11, just how we take moments. You know, I remember when my son was like in first grade, I did not want him to watch videos of that. I mean, he was in six, he was six years old. I didn't want him to. But all of America is stopping everything showing these videos and stop, cry, lament, you know, type of thing. But these things are ongoing, not as tragic as that, but all of these events, even with the, um, just with all of these things that we don't even know what to do about it. We don't have the resources. We don't have the people, you know, this call to action seems just far too much for us, but we still want to feel like we can do something about it. So then our last resort would be to lament when we realize that we can't. This is literally something only God can do. So um, I think we we want to still feel like we have our hands on something or we're doing something about it. Um, And I think about something that Bobby says all the time. um, And I love the fact that he says it, but he says, instead of praying for the work, remember that prayer is the work. And so a lot of times that's what we find ourselves doing, like, Lord, how can we fix this or what can we do? Instead of like, Lord, this is a problem and we're coming to you, telling you we acknowledge that this is a problem. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, you know. I think, Ted, when we are feeling like we need to lament and if we do sit in that grief, it can often lead to acknowledging that maybe someone else caused that pain or there's sin in your life that's causing that pain and that grief. And so by taking this space to lament and to truly feel, you might come out with some action steps that are also very uncomfortable. Um, And I think specifically and within the context of this conversation, I've worked with teenagers for a lot of years and I know that I'm a basic white girl and 
it's been through relationship with them and seeing what some of these kids are going through, what their families are experiencing, being in relationships that aren't necessarily natural or how I, I grew up in a white suburb. Um, but I've been in the city for over 10 years now and being willing to be in relationship where you can have hard conversations and really get to know someone. And so then when you're feeling something um, or trying to feel something at the level that they're feeling it, it is uncomfortable. And then it might lead to acknowledging hurt that you've caused and then leading to reconciling and just how countercultural really all of those things are. Kind of along those lines, I think I'm going to, I'm going to attempt the, the white male perspective here um, in terms of resistance to lament. One thing that um, Brandon talked a lot about today at midtime at midtown rather was just how, how hyper individualistic our culture is um, even, even, even within the church and I think with that comes um, a certain worry that, um, or, or, suspic- or suspicion that, that empathy is, is inauthentic. Like if someone says that they're feeling what I'm feeling and this matters to them, I'm, I'm, there's a worry that they're not going to believe I actually do feel that way because everybody should look out for themselves and kind of deal with it. So if somebody's going to put their own problems behind them and say, I, I want to really engage with your problems, then are, are they going to believe me? Mm-hmm. Or, or are they going to be suspicious of my motives or my ends? And the other thing, I think even, even more specific um, from, from the white male perspective, is this concern that if I lament, if I, if I have or admit these feelings of, of mourning and, and sadness and care, in doing that, I am admitting some sort of guilt that I, that I do not want to admit. If I am sad about something, that means I did it, it's my fault, and suddenly I'm a bad person. In, in a hyper-individualistic culture, being a bad person is like the worst thing you can be. So um, I, I don't want to engage in lament because everyone will then point their fingers and say, you're sad because it's your fault and you feel guilty about mm. what's happening. So Drew said something in that that I want to follow up on, and that is the authenticity piece of this. Um, because we do, culturally it seems, if, if something happens, right, we're in this immediate reaction culture where I'm going to go into my social media feed and I'm going to make sure I get the right hashtag and I'm going to make sure that I give the trite response that, that aligns with my political ideal. But it seems really disingenuous. And I think we see that. You know, We're sitting there, we're scrolling through feeds and it's just, there's all this inauthentic and it's done people think they're doing the right thing they think they're saying the thing that's supposed to help or the thing that's going to precipitate change but then what then what do we think that authentic lament then really looks like and and let's let's talk about that we can talk about that in our church context like what does what would authentic lament look like for us 
for those of us who are struggling with still, I'm not sure what this looks like. My friend asked me that question. Actually, she asked me a different, in a different type of way, basically like if, she said, what does it look like if someone confessed to you that they they had racial biases towards you? How would you respond to them? Like with as a Christian, like would you would you be able to look past that? Like, oh okay, or like what's your response? I was like, dang, I don't know what my response is until um, until when Brian called me this week and he it was like right on, like right after she asked me that question, I was like, I don't know. I had to like face it, you know, right then. And um, when when he called me, you know, I struggled with that. <laughs> Like, as I heard you, I was like, as I'm listening to you, Drew, tell me about, you know, will it seem, I'm, I'm saying that like, dang. And it's, that, that's hard to answer only because I have to say that I, I would never know. And um, because I've been betrayed, you know, like in my life, it's hard to know what's authentic was genuine. The only way I would have to know is if it's spoken in the way that the Lord knows it, it would meet me and reach me. And so that's how Brian says specific words that I heard the Lord say to me during a prayer time, specifically, please don't change. And basically, even in my prayer time to the Lord coming to this church, it's different when you have an interview and you tell people that you could do the job until you get up in front of everybody and you doing it. And then you like, I sat down in that interview and I said I could do this. But then when you see the faces of people or you see people's hands in their pocket and, you know, I came from a very expressive church. I came from a Pentecostal church. I don't know if you know about that. Google it. <laughs> YouTube some Pentecost. No, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't don't YouTube me. No, but seriously, I was just like, what am I doing here? And I was asking the Lord, what am I doing here? I asked him for several months, what am I doing here? There were times after church on Sunday, I would go find another church so that I can experience church the way that I was used to it. And the Lord um dealt with me about me not being willing to be uncomfortable and steadily choosing to worship him according to my preferences and not allowing him to show me how to enter in to a new thing and let him even do something new in me. Even if it, that does mean sometimes hold back, you know, and being sensitive to him when to hold back. When to, you know what I'm saying? So I'm steady. I'm learning that right now, but I don't think, we could ever know that right offhand unless we're actually putting it into practice and actually walking, you know, the way the Lord want us to walk and he allow us to see it as we're walking. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's just our human nature to want to see the end result right then and there. Cause we, we got the Bible. So we know Jesus coming back. So we just want to know when you coming back, you know, like, is this the time you about to come back? Like, I don't know, but it's like, <laughs> Right now, he wants us to glorify him, still in expectation for his return. So as we glorify him, how are we going to allow him to do that? I have to learn how not to be judgmental. Like, you brought attention to me 
when you said that because it made me realize that I still have critical areas of my heart where I would question a person and their motives. I will do that. And I have to I have to be honest and say, I have to keep praying through that because some of it does not feel genuine. Some of it does feel like I'm in a get out movie. You know, I don't know if you ever seen that. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, I'm not lying. Like, we don't know. It's so much on TV that's fueling this like hate to be afraid of. Like me as a black woman, honestly, I don't know unless I focus on Christ and not focus on any other lie that try to penetrate through the truth of who Christ is. So I have to trust that Christ redeemed you. And I have to trust that when you say that, I have to trust Christ, not you, Christ, you know, in mm-hmm. you, in order for me to learn how to accept whatever could be authentic or true. Like, I got to say, I hope they do want to please the Lord. You know, I hope this is real, you know. Yeah, I was, that's such a hard question to answer. Because you're talking about a matter of the heart. Um so I'll try to answer it. Uh, I think for sure it is, you know, what what I said that Brian was saying in his sermon. It it is aligning yourself to 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 the Lord. Um, I think like to lament without truth is yeah, I, it's like impossible to do. Like it it is it's a spiritual discipline too. You know, it's like I'm some. It's a it's a spiritual discipline for sure because, um, and there's no cookie cutter way about it. It's like, hey, well, you know, I can choose to be authentic. It's man, you have to ask God to make you authentic. Like you have to ask God to like reveal the things in your heart and things like that for you to repent of and and then, you know, confess and then turn to the truth of of the matter of what Scripture says uh, in whatever situation it is. Um, you know, and that is, I mean, there's just no simple one way to do it. And I come from like my conversion was in the context of a ministry. And so, you know, it's really hard, um, for for that to be the answer because we like in ministry and like conversion culture stuff like that highly evangelistic culture to be like well what do we do to fix all this stuff to get at all this stuff and and what do we do to to do this thing um and there's just <laughs> it's just not one answer it's like you know you humble yourself but you you know you have to ask God to do that like you have to admit you know what's really going on and that's the hard thing i think that's one of the things i didn't get to answer that question about what the roblox is is that you're just afraid to find out what's really going on down in there and then let the lord see it and let everybody else see it and uh i think until we're able to do that um you know it's really you're going to have a real hard time being authentic because you don't even know what that is because you don't want to know I didn't want to know, you know, some things, you know, some situations that I had. And it really took for me to say, man, this is what really happened. This is how I really felt. Uh, you know, I opened up to some people about whatever situation it was. And then from there, I kind of started to see who God was more because I got it. I started to see what it was 
about myself that was disgusting, you know, whatever that may be. And, you know, just to be vulnerable about the situation, it was more about, like, me just admitting I had a situation back in my past before I came to Christ. Um, and, um, you know, and I had to admit that I was afraid in the moment about it. And for some reason, that was, like, super difficult because my, where I'm from, you're just not allowed to be weak or say, hey, I'm scared, you know, especially, like, in... Uh, neighborhoods where it's just it's violent and everybody want to be the king uh, and then for me to say that like you know um, it really opened up a way for me to lament because then I could really see like man I, I'm, I'm tired of seeing this I'm tired of seeing what I'm seeing back where I'm from but I had to deal with myself first you know and in this specific conversation you know some 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 people are going to have to say you know Hey, I got racial bias. I got, or you might have to say to yourself, like, you know, I'm racist, or I, I, I don't like this about whatever, like the culture and whatever, whatever it may be. Like, it's it's gonna start with being real about what's deep down in there, and it's <laughs> that's all. It's really difficult to do, uh, but I think that that's a good starting point, you know. Um, and then line yourself up with truth, you know, it's like, Hey, maybe, maybe I do have a racial bias or uh, a prejudice or whatever, but who, who is God? And, and when I can see that I can experience forgiveness, I can get vision, I can get hope. I have restoration. I've been restored. I have a new identity because the one I had that I was trying to hide before got shut down and even find out that that thing that's whatever it is that's down there was a part of your identity that's I mean that's you know that's difficult because but then once you get rid of that you get to put on what the real is and that's Christ you know uh and so I you know I hope that's helpful but I, I think that's part of it so we've we've talked about lamenting we've talked about exploring the the darkness within our own hearts we've talked about a truly uniting ourselves with with the laments of other people and um i work with kids and, and one of the things i i talk about a, a good amount with them is how much we are sold this idea that our comfort is sort of our ultimate goal and that is not a biblical promise mm -hmm. um, and there are many wonderful biblical promises but to say that you know the end goal of my life is to achieve comfort is actually not there, and and we are bombarded with that idea, and I think that exactly what you're talking about. Like I, I don't want to explore your problems. In fact, I don't even want to dig deep into my heart because all those things make me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And this is America where you know you you've made it when you're comfortable. Tayshawn asked the question today, how, how often do we look at people with the type of love that is displayed in the Good Samaritan? And then he talked about how lamenting starts with your, the posture of your heart and acknowledging the fact that like my heart is wicked and bent towards destruction apart from the gospel of Jesus. And that by acknowledging that truth, that I can start down a process of lamenting over, yeah, lamenting over that truth. And um, that question just hit me really hard today about, 
the way that we look at people and the way that I look at people and is my first look love or is it some sort of judgment that doesn't reflect the gospel? As we, as we kind of get towards the end here, one final question for you guys to, to take on, and it actually relates actually to something you were referring to earlier, and you talked about um, the struggle that a friend of yours was going through and, and, and going through this season, this time of lament, but also acknowledging that God is, is good. And so the question is, in, in times of lament, we talk about lament that's something we want to do, but like, what's the timeline on this? Like, when, when do we get done lamenting? When's the clock run out and we can, we can do whatever we want to do next? So in these times of lament, you know, is that all we're allowed to do? Are we only allowed to lament or is there room in that for rejoicing and praising and recognizing that God is good in those moments? No, I definitely don't think lament is the place where it ends or continues, you know, because that is heavy. Um, the Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so I think in the midst of allowing yourself to lament, it's just like what Drew was talking about um, when you're in the presence of people who are grieving. Sometimes there's room to offer encouragement. And, you know, so there's times in the midst of our grief where um, – if we allow it, we can allow encouragement to come. And so, like, God's word is very, very encouraging. Um, one of my, I mean, I got a lot of favorite scriptures, but one of them that comes to mind right now is that um, the name of the Lord is the strong tower and the righteous run to it and they are safe. And the righteous are not the ones who do everything right, but the Bible says that the righteous live by faith. And so as long as I'm living by faith and I keep running to the Lord, through all of these things, and this is something that we have to learn to continue to do because that's that's the journey. It's like the the journey at the end is not comfort. The journey is to continue to run to the Lord, you know, um, throughout this time. And so um, in running in the Lord, it's like he provides us joy. He, he provides us that joy that he says in his word. It gives us strength. It, it allows us to be strengthened to continue so even throughout like this process and me being a part of um, the Northwest congregation in particular, within the lament that we are able to do together as a congregation, there's definitely great encouragement. It's um, great joy that comes from it. And then, I mean, we continue to do it until there comes a time we gotta go through it again together. And it's like, we're learning how to do it together in the body. It's, it's hard though, you know, it's a lot of hard work. Um, groundwork is just hard work. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just look at it like being in this Christian journey, that's what it is. We're, we're steadily doing groundwork steadily. So we have to continue to encourage one another in that. And so, yeah. I've been reading Ezekiel lately and there's a pattern throughout the book where, where God speaks through Ezekiel and really pushes God's people down into lament with what they've done and what has happened in the past, what's happening right now, what's going to happen in the future. And it continues to return to, but God is good and God is faithful and he will remember you and he will deliver you. And then it, it happens again and again and again. So uh, 
using scripture as the indication there, you do have room because through the lament, God is still God and his promises are still true and he will deliver on all of them wherever, whatever you're sitting in right now is every bit as real, but so is the ultimate end and therefore there has to be room for rejoicing. Kind of to go off of what you were saying too, I think if we experience, if we are lamenting or we're grieving and we're not continually acknowledging the goodness of God, it can lead to like other things like anger or destructive behaviors that aren't, that aren't helpful within our grief or within our sadness. But if we keep our focus on the goodness of God while at the same time experiencing grief, like hopefully the end of that is a hopeful situation. I want to thank you all for the time, your vulnerability in this conversation, your emotion in this conversation, uh, and your sharing in this conversation, because it can be heavy. And so I appreciate you all taking the time with us uh, for this episode. And, and our encouragement to those of you listening this week is that you give the practice of lament a shot. Um, just take time, write a personal lament uh, to God, maybe express the pain of injustice that you've experienced, uh, confess specific sins or, or hear idols that have promoted injustice in our world, call that out to God and ask him to move in specific areas of your life, in specific places and areas of our world. And listen, if you, if you don't know where to start with these things, um, you know, we've got some resources for you. We've got scriptural resources for you. We've got We've got books on, on lament or places we can point you to, um, you know, within our justice and reconciliation practice guide that we've been then using. And, and all those things are available to you um, at somaindy.com slash justice. So give that a chance this week to see what practicing lament might look like. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no shortage of things that, that you can lament about. Uh, it should be easy to find. But again, appreciate those who joined us uh, to talk about this. On our next episode, we're going to wrap our four-week sermon and podcast series with discussion then moving towards repentance and restoration. And we'll talk more about practical ways that we can engage in reconciliation and justice.